So when I start working with a new client, I have them fill out an assessment form and it includes many questions, lots of like medical history, dietary preferences, et cetera. One of the things that it asks is, do you think you would work better with a meal plan or a macro-based plan? And uh, I, I asked them to pick one and there is also an option, don't know, help. And so oftentimes we have a conversation about like, what's your skill with macronutrients, et cetera. So the point being though, like there is a correct answer to that question. And I don't impose that answer on clients necessarily until it becomes obvious. So we're going to dig in on what that is and how, if you have a macro-based plan, how you are probably doing it incorrectly if you want to maximize your results. So this is the drop set episode 246. Let's get into it. And now... Coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody. I'm Darren Starr. Welcome to episode 246. Thanks for joining me here. If you are on YouTube, thanks. Hi. Sorry about not having shaved. I thought about it and thought, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm okay with looking a little homeless. So if you are on YouTube, uh, consider subscribing to the channel. If you aren't already, give the video a like, leave a comment. If you have anything to say about what we're talking about here, or if you just want to suggest some topics for future discussion, if you are listening to the audio only version, you're not missing much. And uh, thank you as well. And uh, please leave a rating or review wherever you can. Share this episode far and wide. I would appreciate it greatly, whether it's video or audio. That helps me out a ton. Um, so let's see. There is a, uh, a call-in number still for those who are new to this. I do have. You're not going to talk to me directly, but um, you can leave a voicemail, and I can play your call here, and we can listen to it and go over whatever questions you have. And it just kind of breaks up the monotony of just hearing my voice for 40 minutes straight, which... Uh, uh, for me sounds terrible. I don't know. Um, other people seem to think it's okay, which is great, <laughs> but that number is eight, six, five, five, one, eight, six, five, six, nine. That is my Google voice number. You call that it'll ring through. It goes to voicemail. You'll hear my voice saying, Hey, it's Darren drop set, leave your message. Blah. There you go. I'm never going to answer that. So, um, call, leave a message. I love it. Once again, 865-518-6569. I am Darren Starr. I'm a full-time online coach, host here as well. Um, you can check out everything I do at fivestarphysique.com, coaching, workout programs, merch, et cetera, all that crap is there. Um, so let's, let's get right into it here. I did um, talk about meal plans versus macros in the intro. We're going to get to that. A couple other things I wanted to talk about today as well. Um, the first of which being something that comes up a lot working with clients. Um, and I would say of varying experience levels. You know, there are some people who come in with very little experience. And there are some people who come in with a lot of experience. Um, and, and sometimes it can be easier to work with somebody that doesn't really have a lot of preconceived notions about what a workout is supposed to look like versus somebody who comes in and says, well, this is what I've been doing, et cetera. And then you throw them something that's maybe a little bit outside of that. 
And this is where the term coachability starts to come in. Like, how does that person respond to that? And I have seen some pretty violent oppositions to workouts that I have thrown out to people before. Um, And these are workouts that are not crazy. They're fairly standard, but it would be feedback like, well, I've always done this or I superset everything. I'm like, yeah, okay. And that's why you're looking to hire a coach because you haven't gotten the results that you're looking for. So let's try some different stuff here, right? And oftentimes people do tend to overcomplicate this stuff. I've talked about this a lot in this podcast before, how typically the basic things work. If you find yourself supersetting everything, chances are you're you're, you're just... You're doing one of many things. <laughs> the first is you're overcomplicating things. You're not recovering between sets, which is what you're supposed to be doing. You are being efficient, but are you being efficient to work in more volume for the same muscle group? Like the only time that I would really ever superset things for myself these days is really if I'm doing antagonist muscle groups like biceps and triceps. I would superset those for efficiency just to make the workout go a little quicker. If you're supersetting throughout the whole thing and doing one back exercise, supersize with a superset with another one, and then switching to another exercise and supersetting that with another one, they're all back exercise. Like, stop, chill out. You're, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. You're, you're playing the volume game where you're focusing on how much stuff you can do rather than how well you can do it. And some people think they're focusing on both. Like I'm doing a lot and I'm doing it really well and it takes a long time. And in that case, it's like, yeah, so let's do less because you're not recovering from that. So the question though um, comes down to the the dilemma of um, what constitutes an easy workout. I've had this from clients. I mean, I've been doing this full time now for, this is my 13th year doing this full time. Um, and so I've heard this many, many times where I'll throw somebody a new split and they will say something like this, this is easier than the last one. Um, to which my response is always, well, that's on you. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, uh, I might sugarcoat a little bit more than that, but it's like, yeah, the, the programming is not what makes it difficult. Like creativity and programming is there for a novelty. It can engage your brain a little bit. We're doing something different. Hey, try this. I've never tried that before. Cool. Let's try it. See how it feels. Um, in general, though, by and large, most of your stuff should be pretty basic. You should be doing straight sets, typical rep schemes in the 8 to 15 range, nothing like that. You don't need set extenders or intensifiers. You don't need to be doing a lot of drop sets, rest pause, uh, forced reps, partials, extended negative, manual resistance, or anything like that. Um, you know, I've, I use all those things in my splits, but they're kind of like candy sprinkled in here and there. Um, and a lot of what I'm writing now, doesn't include any of that just because it's not necessary. And so, um, it's good, I I think to throw some of that stuff at beginners because it kind of helps push the beginners and intermediate. It helps push their envelope a little bit as far as like what they should expect that something really fucking hard feels like. Um, like if you're just doing straight sets and you're like, yeah, I mean, we see this all the time. You know, you see this in the gym. If you look at people, they're doing their sets and like by the last couple reps, they're making a little bit of a face, but they're not really pushing that hard. That's very common. Where then if you tell somebody, okay, now we're doing rest pause. So we're pushing, we want to find your failure point at that 12 rep mark, understanding they're probably a little south of failure right? They're, they're, they think they're hitting failure at 12 reps. Realistically, if they really dug deep, they'd realize they have three or four more reps in the tank. So the rest pause is designed to kind of pull that out of them and it reframes their perspective on the whole thing. So for rest pause, what you might do is say, we're going to hit 12 reps, um, or we're going to take the set to failure, understanding that your target is 20. And you just need to take short breaks in there, however long they need to be in order to hit 20 reps. And so oftentimes what you will find is if you give people that objective, 
and say, I need you to lift on this set like you've got a gun to your head, like you can't stop. Oftentimes, at whatever weight they think they're hitting failure with their 12th rep, they will go all the way to 20 on that, which reframes things. Aha. Now that sucked. That 20 reps, that was ass. That was hard as shit. That's what's going to make you grow. So what that means and what people learn from that is that they've been underperforming at that 12 rep mark where they think they've been hitting failure before. And we suddenly realize, like, yeah, no, you aren't hitting failure. You had, you had eight reps left in the tank. Honestly, you probably had another couple beyond that too. I just gave you that 20 rep target. So it's really good to reframe things. And to be clear, like I have done that myself before where I think I'm pushing pretty hard. And then I've got that 20 rep mark understanding I can take breaks if I need to, but damn it, really try not to take breaks until you just feel like you're just absolutely going to crumple into a heap and die. Um, and when you do that, you'll find like there's gas in the tank that you didn't know was there. Um, you just have to push the pedal far enough down to siphon it out. I don't know anything about cars. That metaphor is probably falling apart. So, um, it's really good for that. So what do you do with an easy workout? Well, what you're looking to do is get somebody into a, uh, the space, um, the, the head space and the technical space of a more advanced lifter. Um, when you do that, the advanced lifter knows that the basics work. You can do your three sets of 10, three sets of 10, three sets of 10, nothing fancy, no crazy tempos or anything like that. Just good, clean, hard reps accumulating in hard sets. And that's all it takes. That's all you need to do. Um, that, that's where the magic happens. And then certainly you can play around with some other stuff, but that is the, the massive foundation of the whole thing. So um, when somebody tells me like, yeah, this workout was pretty easy. I'm like, that's on you because that tells me that the execution isn't quite there. That's not a programming thing. So at this point, um, and so it's a, it's a skill development thing. It's execution and skill development. So what my job is as a coach is to help people push past that boundary um, to where they think they're pushing really hard, but you don't know what hard is, but you're going to find out. You're going to find out. Um, and so the way to do that, um, several ways to do that. First of all, we can implement some of those tricks like, you know, rest, pause, drop set. And somebody will say like, man, that drop set felt brutal. That was awful. I'm like, yeah, now we want to try and make straight sets feel like that. You know what that feels like. Now that's what we're chasing, but without the tricks. Um, also progressive overload is the biggest thing here. Um, and so we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast many, many times before I should go back and catalog how many, I don't have time to do that. Um, but progressive overload is, is the secret sauce here. So, um, if you are, and there'll be a video coming, um, on my YouTube channel about, um, workout logging shortly and how I do it and what I think is the correct way to do it. There are a lot of correct ways to do it. I think my way is the most correct way. So I'm a little opinionated on that. Um, that video will be coming soon. So look for that. Uh, but the way that you track your logs, the way that you track your workouts through your logs is how you're going to force the issue here. And the thing is like a lot of people, and I talked about this last week briefly, um, they change their workout split too soon before they really give progressive overload a chance to help them identify where their physical capacity is. Um, so somebody who is a beginner or maybe intermediate lifter, if they follow a split for four weeks, they're going to feel like they've topped out. I'm like, yep, keep going, keep going. Hit that fifth week, hit that sixth week. Oh, it's kind of, I'm kind of bored with this. I'm like, yeah. Uh, and so as a coach, this is where I have to kind of um, uh, be, psychologist a little bit and also understand the difference between practical and optimal. So practical is you run that split for however long, I'm sorry, optimal is you run that split for however long it takes 
in order to maximize progressive overload to the point where nothing's moving anymore and we're stuck on everything. Um, practical sometimes means that we cut our losses and we go a little sooner just because I want to get people into a space where they are thinking about, you know, a workout isn't boring or exciting. It's productive or it's unproductive. So the excitement comes from progression and you can do the same stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And it can still be exciting and engaging because you are progressing and you're seeing results manifest from that. So that that's a huge mindset mindset shift that takes somebody into the headspace of an advanced lifter. And so that's kind of always where I'm trying to push people like focus on the results, focus on the outcome, focus on the performance. Don't focus on the shiny object. Oh, I want to change this. I want to do something new. Like, nope, that's the beginner trap that you fall down. That's the squirrel going up the tree that you want to chase. Like, nope, don't chase that squirrel. Stay focused on what we're doing here. We're focused on results. That's what we want to be thinking about. So, um, let, let's go over, uh, you know, I've been on my current training split now. I think I just started the seventh rotation on it. Um, so of course I have it memorized at this point. Um, so, uh, starting on Monday, we won't go through the whole thing. I'm not going to bore you with that. Don't worry. Um, Monday is my first leg day of the week. So it's a hack squat, three sets of 10. I do four warm up sets going up to that just because that first working set has to be heavy as shit. I've only got three sets. That's my primary compound exercise for quads for the whole week. All three of those sets have to count. Um, so if, if any of those sets might be like, eh, well, you know, I did this number here. Like what I'm trying to remember what my numbers were last week. My logbooks over there. Um, you know what? Let's check the logs. Okay. I got it. Here we go. Logs. Um, hack squat. So this last week here, God, it's too dark in this room. Um, my first working set and we're talking added weight on the hack squat sled, sled here was 235 pounds. The second set was 260. The third set was 280. So 235, 260, 280. Those are all pretty reasonable. Looking at this now, that 280, which that did represent, um, that did represent a 10-pound jump from the previous week. Um, actually, all of those were 10-pound increases over the previous week. I'm looking at it now, and I'm thinking we're starting to scale up a little bit. That 235, I wouldn't call that a warm-up set, but I think my first working set next week can be a little bit more aggressive. So I might want to start that at, say, like 250, which means I might, I might want to throw in a fifth warm-up set because currently it's the unloaded sled, and then it's 90 pounds, 135, 180, and then I went into 235 after that. So I might throw in um, another warm-up set at like 225, just hit like three or four reps just to get accustomed to that weight. Most of these warm-up sets are short. There may be five or six reps. I'm not doing full sets on these. I'm not trying to empty the tank. I'm saving it for these three hard ass sets. And I know that top end set is probably going to kill me. It's the, it's the single physical, it's the hardest physical act that I do all week, that, that top end set for hack squat. So that's how my week starts out. After that, we move on to a leg extension. Um, I had been using a hammer strength plate loaded leg extension and I kind of, I didn't max out on that because there's still room to put more weight on it, but it got to a point where it was feeling heavy enough that my, my knees were starting to feel like, Hey, maybe this isn't super productive. And so this last week we switched to a different leg extension machine. So keeping the same movement pattern in place felt like I'd kind of reached a practical limitation on, on the machine that I was using, um, just in terms of like trying to feel, you know, joint comfort. Um, and so shifted that same movement pattern, different machine. After that, it's a, a single leg leg press. Um, and then I do adductors and calves. 
So it's three sets of 10 for everything. Um, adductors are three sets of 15 as our calves. So that's your fancy programming right there. Like that's as fancy as it gets. Um, Tuesday's a day off. Wednesday, my back day is kind of a mess just because we've changed some stuff out of necessity just because um, uh, equipment availability, et cetera. That day is a little bit of a mess. Today was um, shoulders and biceps. And so um, I have kind of hopped around on this a little bit. So my first exercise here, and again, just kind of summarizing the whole thing, machine shoulder press, three sets of 12. Standing lateral raise, three sets of 15. Machine lateral raise, three sets of 12. Reverse pec deck fly, three sets of 15, two bicep exercises. This is my highest volume workout of the week because it's two muscle groups. It's four shoulder exercises, two bicep exercises. Honestly, sometimes I feel like I can take out um, maybe that machine lateral raise. I might even try that next week and just do an extra set of standing lateral raises instead so the volume isn't too much of a drop. So um, it's, uh, it's basic, basic stuff. Um, and you just don't need to do fancy things. If you're relying on fancy things, if you're relying on novelty or creativity, you're probably shortchanging the basics a little bit. So what we want to do with this, the take-home point for all of this is if you have an easy workout, something that looks easy on paper and you go through it and it feels like the execution of that was pretty easy as well, that's a sign that we need to start thinking more deeply about progressive overload pushing harder on this and taking that easy stuff and just making it more difficult by pushing more weight. You don't need to necessarily jump that all up in one week, but really start to pick apart these numbers here. Like, huh, these are my three working sets. And for example, you know, if my hack squat back here was, um, you know, 180 pounds and then 250 and then 280, well, that's three working sets with a hundred pound gap in there. Like that first set is clearly not a working set. Um, and so you wouldn't want to catalog it as that. You'd say, no, that's a warm up set. You go retroactively market as such and you add a working set on top of that as well. So still the same number of working sets. It's just, we're not counting that low weight just because of where you got up to going through a split for the first week, I might just catalog that and like, yep, mark that. That's a warm up weight. So treat that as a warm up set next week. And then I'll, I'll go up from that for my three sets next week. Um, but you've got to be aggressive in how you mark that stuff in your logbook. And clearly if you aren't keeping a logbook, that's the problem. So, um, most beginners never progress to intermediate and most intermediates stay there due to a lack of logging and a lack of really studying the logs to get information from that, to figure out where you need to go. So as Forrest Gump said, that's all I have to say about that. Now, next subject. This is one that uh, near and dear to my heart, kind of. Um, and this has to do, so this is for, um, mostly for guys. Yeah, guys, ladies, you can take a break for a few minutes, unless you're just curious. You know, I'm not gonna kick you out of the room. I will say you probably won't get much out of this. Unless your boyfriend or husband is on TRT and doing this, in which case, take some notes. Um, so for guys on TRT or guys running a more sophisticated cycle, either way, um, it is really important that you stop nuking your estrogen into oblivion. Um, estrogen is not the enemy. Excess estrogen is, I still wouldn't say it's the enemy, but it's a problem. <laughs> enemy is a strong word. It, it can become very problematic. Um, and so what I see very commonly um, is guys who are on TRT and they just by default at a very moderate dose of testosterone um, will plug in an aromatase inhibitor. I used to recommend this for people until I learned better. So, hey, 
you know, we all start somewhere and the idea is we learn, we develop a, a better set of best practices and we follow the current studies and come up with better ways to do it. So um, what I want to see people do is, uh, first of all, don't plug in something like that by default. Um, the thing about AIs, so an AI is an aromatase inhibitor. So there is an aromatase enzyme that will convert um, estrogen, I'm sorry, convert testosterone into estrogen if there's an excess of it in the body. So um, testosterone, you, all, all compounds have some degree of aromatization. Most of them are pretty negligible. Testosterone can be fairly heavy past certain doses. Um, and so what you wanna do is find the dose where you're not getting that aromatization effect um, because that then it does um, uh, convert into estrogen and then your estrogen elevates and also there could be issues with estrogen not secreting from the body properly and suddenly it's building up and then we have all kinds of terrible high estrogen high estrogen symptoms this can be things like gyno um, although gyno has a lot of other mechanisms, like it could also be a prolactin based gyno. So it just depends. Sometimes you would need blood work to know for sure. Typically high estrogen symptoms um, for guys are going to manifest uh, with either libido or erectile performance issues. So those are the things to watch for. Also like, you know, sharp mood swings here and there um, can be a sign as well. Um, and the issue here is you can't necessarily go and get your estrogen checked in blood work with a good degree of accuracy, um, especially for guys on TRT or taking other PEDs. Um, the estrogen test becomes fairly inaccurate unless you have access to a high sensitivity estrogen test. Um, you also see estrogen referred to as E2 or estradiol. All those are correct. They're all the same thing. There are actually four forms of estrogen in the body. E1, 2, 3, and 4. I wrote them down just because I'd never encounter these, so they're irrelevant to me. Um, Estrone is E1, estriol is E3, estetrol is E4. We don't care about those. E2, estradiol, it, you know, estrogen is the blanket term. That's the specific hormone that we're talking about here. So, um, but you need a certain amount of that in order to perform well. Like estrogen is neuroprotective, it's cardioprotective, it promotes glucose uptake into the muscle, um, it, uh, it helps with organ health. There's all kinds of good things that estrogen does. And honestly, if you're taking PEDs, you have an increased risk of side effects and suppressed estrogen amplifies all of those risks. So you want it in a good balanced state with your testosterone. So if you do have access to a high sensitivity estrogen test, what might that number be? It depends. Typically, I would, I would guide people based off of what they're feeling. If your libido is fine, if your sexual performance is fine, um, if your mood is, is stable, you're probably good to go. If you don't have any kind of nipple sensitivity, early signs of gyno, you're probably in a good spot. So if your testosterone is 1400, but your estrogen is 150, well, that's high, but your testosterone is very high as well. So those are still kind of in balance-ish. Um, that wouldn't, at, at that point, be like, yeah, that's high, but how do you feel? And if you feel fine, great, we're good to go. At that point also, I might say like, well, what's your TRT dose? Maybe it's a little aggressive. Maybe we need to tamp that down a little bit. Um, the idea is you wanna run your TRT at the highest dose that you can tolerate without using an aromatase inhibitor. Now an aromatase inhibitor, this is gonna be Arimidex or Aromacin are the two most common ones. Um, and I've seen all kinds of protocols that range from you know, taking you know, Arimidex at half a milligram once a week or twice a week up to a milligram every day, which is insane. Um, 
So just keep in mind, like those bring negative things to the table as well. They're cardiotoxic, they're neurotoxic, and generally just introducing more compounds into the body when we're already introducing some that, that are bringing, th bringing about things that we want, bringing in something else as a Band-Aid for one of those other compounds, bad idea. Adjust one of the other compounds so that we don't need the Band-Aid. Like that, that's the proper approach here. So, um, if you start testosterone at 250 and you notice your, um, estrogen side effects are starting to ramp up a little bit, dial that dose back. Don't bring in an AI, just dial the dose back because otherwise what you're saying is you're going to need to run that AI long-term in order to tolerate that dose without estrogen based side effects. The dose is just too aggressive. Pull it back down. It doesn't need to be 250. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with people where the dose that they tolerate is hundred. You know, okay, if that's what it has to be, bring the AI in at that point, kind of as a last resort. You want to try all kinds of other things first. Um, you know, you could bring in uh, dim, uh, cal uh, certain calcium supplements can help with that as well. So you're looking for things that are going to help the body excrete the surplus estrogen. So, um, because oftentimes it's not just an excess created through aromatization, but it's a, a suppression of excretion of it as well. So um, if you handle it from both directions, you're going to have a more comprehensive effect on the total outcome here. So um, that's what I would recommend doing um, is always you want to find the highest dose that you can tolerate without needing an AI. And so some people will say like, well, what about um, CIRMs like Nolvadex? Uh, CIRM is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. So this is not an aromatase inhibitor. This, if, if you're taking in too much estrogen, this isn't going to stop the conversion of that excess testosterone into estrogen. Um, but what it's going to do is just kind of nuke your estrogen just directly. Um, and the only people that should really be taking Nolvadex would be like breast cancer patients, realistically. Um, or you can use it um, briefly, like for guys, if you have a gyno flare up and you need to, you, you want to try and eliminate that and tamp it down before the tissue becomes fibrous, then a little bit of Nolvadex um, or an AI at that point, just situationally for short periods of time. Can, can be helpful to just manage that. Um, but as a matter of course, as far as what to run long-term, you don't want any of that stuff in your system long-term if you can avoid it. We're already introducing enough other stuff. We want to keep the picture as simple and as uncomplicated as possible. And for guys running TRT, that just means a lower dose. If it's part of a more elaborate cycle, you can make up for that androgen deficit by bringing in another compound. So um, just the thing to recommend, the thing to keep in mind there is that on a milligram per milligram basis, all of these compounds work pretty much the same as far as building muscle. That's been proven in many, many studies over many, many years. Um, it's pretty irrefutable at this point. So um, what you want to do is favor compounds that bring less bad stuff to the table. So um, to be clear, not a doctor, not advocating for any of this stuff, not saying go out and run a cycle, everybody. But just if you are or if you're contemplating it, just know that you need to run it intelligently. And there are plenty of really, really stupid ways to do something that does already carry some inherent risk with it as well. So just be be weary of that. So, all right, now let's uh, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of today. Literally, we're going to talk about meal plans and or macros. So, like I said in the intro. This is a question that I ask of all my clients. Like, do we want to go with a meal plan or do we want to go with a macro-based approach? And I won't lie, whenever somebody says meal plan, I'm always like, mm, okay. Because what that means is I'm going to be micromanaging their food intake when realistically I probably don't need to. So, um, but uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, but also like, I know it can get really boring and I don't change diets on people just because I've had coaches who have just changed my diet full stop without asking me. I'm like, why'd you do that? Like, I'm good with this. I was in a groove with my meal prep. I don't want different stuff. Um, 
I had one coach who um, <laughs> just would randomly decide in a growth phase, like, okay, we're going to go keto for two weeks just to reset everything. I'm like, oh, Lord, that didn't last much longer after that. I'm like, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? Um, I did not enjoy keto, not even for two weeks. Didn't like it. One for me. Um, and in the middle of a growth phase when things were going pretty well, like why interrupt that? Like we're going to go zero carb for two weeks, whatever. So, um, anyway, point being like, I, I don't necessarily like to micromanage people's foods. I will do it. Um, but I'm not going to change stuff randomly. If people will say like, Hey, can I swap out this for this? I'm going to be like, yeah. Hey, have you ever looked into doing macros? Because you could totally do this yourself and you could change this as often as you like to whatever you like. And you just need to develop the skills to be able to manage that. So usually what happens is people will um, base their answer to that question, meal plan versus macros, on whether or not they know how to calculate macros. And if they do, they're going to go with that. If they don't, they're going to be like, I don't have any idea. I tried that once. I sucked at it. So meal plan all the way. Cool. So um, as I alluded to, there is a correct answer to that question. Um, and surprisingly, the correct answer is meal plan. That is the correct answer for people who are looking to maximize the results that they get from this process. A macro-based plan um, will introduce enough error through variety and estimation um, that it will have an impact on results over the long term. So there is a caveat to that, however, not surprisingly, in that you can go with a macronutrient-based plan and build a meal plan out of that that you follow every day. It is a meal plan of your creation, not mine. And um, that being the case, like I always hear to a plan that I write better than a plan that somebody wrote for me. Um, always, no exceptions, because I'm picking the foods based on preference, convenience, appetite, um, when I have time to make something fresh, when I need something grab and go, um, you know, like I don't want to, I mean, I, I won't eat fish. That's so I know I've had a meal plan written for me before that included fish twice a day after saying I didn't like fish. I'm like, well, okay, fuck this guy. Um, that was my very first coach back in the day. Should I name names? I kind of want to name names. Should I name names? I don't know. I won't right now. If you want to know, leave a comment, leave a, let, let me know. I'm not afraid of name. I don't even know if he's around anymore, to be honest with you. Oh, he, I gave it away. He, well, I gave you a clue. Um, so, uh, anyway, <laughs> I, like I don't right now, I don't want to eat chicken, right? I go through these phases where for years at a time, I'm just burnt out on chicken. I don't want to eat it. It shows up on my meal plan. I'm like, Oh fucking God again. Okay. Whatever. All right. So there are just things like I'm, I just get sick of stuff like, um, you know, meal plan will show up and it has eggs. Like I love eggs, but they just don't really agree with my digestive system so much. So now I'm like no fish, no chicken, no eggs. Like, you know, I'm getting to be hard to write a meal plan for, right? How do you do it, Darren? Well, actually, if you pop on over to, um, if you aren't already watching on YouTube, if you pop on over there and check out my contest prep vlog series that goes up every Monday, um, the one I posted this week was my 15 week out update where I spell out all my meals there. So you can check that out um, on YouTube. I will try and remember to link that in the corner up here somewhere. Um, so, uh, Point being, there is a correct way to do macros. And it's the approach that I use where I start with my numbers. Like, um, you know, I'm evaluating things um, based on how things look week to week while I'm in prep, um, coaching myself. And um, 
I'll be like, yeah, I need to drop 30 grams of carbs this week. Cool, there are my new numbers. Now, let's pull up the plan that I have and figure out where those 30, 30 grams of carbs are gonna come from. But my meal plan is built by me, for me, because I know my preferences. I know a few things. I know middle of the day, I can, you know, because I, I train in the morning, so my, my pre and post-workout meals are my first and second, and those are going to be my larger carb meals. Middle of the day, I tend to be, I'm either busy doing work stuff um, or, um, I'm taking a nap <laughs> with any luck. Uh, and so that's, I'm okay with less intake there, a couple of smaller meals, but man, nighttime comes around that fifth meal, my final meal of the day, I want that to be substantial. So I'm going to save some carbs. I'm going to save some volume, save some calories for that meal. So that's just something that I know based on what's going to help me be successful. If I have that bigger meal to help close the day out, I know I've got that to look forward to. I'm going to go to bed feeling satisfied, wake up, do some work for a little bit have that first meal. And really I'm only stretched a little bit for a few hours in the afternoon. So it's not that bad. So, um, but that's something where, you know, conveying that to a coach who's going to write a meal plan for you. It's like, well, it's a lot to try and get across. And also like that might shift, that might change. So having the ability to do that and control that yourself is great. Um, and all that takes is just some basics with macronutrient skill. And if you are not familiar with macronutrients and how to do it, um, if you go way back in the archives, episode 177 of this podcast is called Macros from the Ground Up. And uh, I'll try and link it in the description of uh, of this episode in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out. Um, it, it covers like, okay, what is a macro? Let's define these things. Let's talk about how we track these things and, and what they what they need to be set at. And then um, in that episode also, I just build a meal plan um, live um, while I'm recording it um, based around some numbers that I came up with and show you my troubleshooting for, oh, it's over, it's under, et cetera. So that's the process that I want people to use if they're following macronutrients. Where it becomes a problem is when you allow yourself too much flexibility. If you want to maximize your results, you need to minimize your flexibility and variance um, because minimizing that allows you to see much more quickly over a shorter period of time. This really applies for contest prep um, more than anything else, but it's still universally true. Um, if you want to really be able to see like over the course of a week, what's going on, you've got to make every day as close to the same as possible. Now there's a certain amount of variability that comes about in every day of our existence, right? So, you know, it's great if you wake up at the same time, you have your meals at the same time, you train at the same time, you take in the same amount of water over the same, you know, period of time throughout the day, you go to bed at the same time. That's great, but there is variability. There's always going to be. So what we want to do is eliminate as much of that variability as possible. And if you can just be consistent with your food selection and roughly the food timing, that does a lot towards kind of cleaning up the data that we want to look at, like weigh-ins, measurements, et cetera. And we can track over a shorter period of time what's changing. So on my prep right now, like I'm on a bit of a time crunch. I have 14 weeks to go, but I've got a lot of ground to cover. So I need to make sure that every week I'm doing everything that I need to in order to hit my targeted rate of loss and that I'm seeing the right kind of changes as well. And so by eliminating one big variable, which is variance in my food selection, um, I'm able to collect data in over three or four days 
I can see like, hey, are these macros working versus, you know, if I'm like, oh, I ate out this night and then I did a macro sub for this and somebody brought over this and I ate that. So I pulled this back, like all the numbers add up perfectly, but that food variance, your stomach is going to process all that stuff differently. Your weigh-ins are going to look different every day. They're going to fluctuate up and down more than they normally would. And suddenly it's like, I, I like to use the analogy of a signal to noise ratio. This is something that comes from music where you have a microphone in a loud room like this isn't. So, right, this is. That's our noise floor. Now this is the signal as I come in here, right? And so as I back away from the microphone, the signal to noise ratio starts to distort where more of the background noise of the room comes in, the signal of my voice starts to get weaker. So with with the data that you would track, um, the, the program output variables, um, you start varying things like that. You're getting more of that background noise in there and the signal, the data that we're trying to interpret, the body changes that we're trying to interpret start to get a little bit more clouded. They're a little harder to see. You got to squint and kind of like try and look through some stuff like, okay, well, you know, this was a meal out. So there's probably a sodium spike there. So that explains why that number is high that day. Oh, water intake was low here. Oh, we only got four hours of sleep that night. That's why that number is higher there. It's like, you know, you want to stabilize that stuff as much as possible. As a coach, that's what I'm looking for because then I can make decisions much faster the more stable things are. Um, the more variance there is, it's like, well, we kind of need to wait and see. You know, Instead of being able to, to track changes over three or four days, we might need to give it two weeks in order to really see what's going on if we're just looking at the data. Of course, we can look at photos as well, and we do, but sometimes the, the, the photos, depending on the state that someone in, is in, aren't going to look terribly different um, week to week. Like The leaner you get, the more you're going to see changes in photos over a shorter period of time. For somebody that isn't super lean, it's going to be harder to catch that stuff in photos. So um, over, again, a short period of time. So um, I am all for reducing, if not eliminating, um, variance in, in food intake when using a macro-based plan. Um, for me, um, you know, I've been in prep now... Um, today's Thursday. As of Saturday, I'll have been in prep for eight weeks with 14 to go. Um, up to this point, I haven't had any macronutrient variations. It's been the same meals every day. Um, Saturday, Saturday, yeah, maybe Saturday. It, well, Saturday is my birthday. I think I might go out for dinner on my birthday and do a macro mash meal out where I'm still hitting my macro targets. It's just going to be with different food. That'll probably be the only meal like that on prep for me for the entire 22 week prep. Um, just because I really value the consistency of, um, the reduced variability, like the, the clarity that that brings to the data. I love that. It just makes it so much easier to make decisions and coaching myself. I need to make things as easy as possible. So I'm really like, you know, I woke up a little late this morning. I typically do 20 minutes on the bike or I typically do 30 minutes on the bike in the morning. I did 20 this morning. Well, I made that up with an extra 10 minutes of cardio post-workout. So I still have the same total amount for the, um, for the day. So that's something that I did just because I want that consistency. I want that hour of cardio daily. So I wasn't going to shortchange myself 10 minutes. Would it have made a big deal? No, part of it's just being honest with myself too. So holding myself accountable to that. And the other big factor here, the other big variable is what are you trying to accomplish? So I am not trying to go up on stage and look okay. 
I want to bring a version of myself to this stage that isn't necessarily going to win just because I don't know who else is going to show up and I want to be realistic about this, but that, w- that is going to embarrass the 2021 version of myself. That's what I'm looking to do. And so this prep needs to be very different from the one that I had in 2021. It already is, but that's not good enough. I'm only eight weeks in. I got 14 left to go. So um, I learned a lot from that prep. And so I'm doing things a lot differently this time around. I'm, um, I've pulled out a weekly cheat meal. I'm not doing that this prep. Um, and that's allowing me to keep my intake daily a little bit higher, which means a little less suffering. I pulled my training volume way back. Um, I was just doing too much before and wearing myself out. I was exhausted the whole time. Now I would say, you know, I'm tired, but I'm fine. You know, it's, it's fine. It's just everything feels a lot better and it's still super productive in this space right now. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens again. Check out those prep vlogs, um, those full videos for the full story and you can catch those going forward too. But, um, for me, it's all about eliminating the variables, just reducing as many of them as you possibly can. So the full takeaway here on meal plan versus macros is there is a correct, a correct answer for this and it's use a meal plan, but you can use a meal plan. Even if you're following a macro based plan, it's just a meal plan that you've written yourself, but hold yourself to that. Don't allow yourself to swap in all these different things. Like maybe you've got an option where it's like, Hey, this meal is either this or this, they add up to the same numbers. Cool. That's not being super flexible, but I I see it a lot of the times where people, uh, this is most of the clients that I work with who follow a macro-based plan, um, in their tracker that they send to me every day or every week, um, every day their macros are different. And that just tells me like, well, there's, there's too much variability happening. Now, maybe it's one meal or something like that. If somebody isn't in prep, that's not a big deal. Um, but if you're in prep, like lock that meal plan in place and just be as consistent with it as possible. I promise you it pays off and it just makes decision-making and cert- uh, decision-making easier, increases certainty where you, you start to wake up and you have an expectation like, Hey, I think I know what, what's going to happen today. I think I know how things are going to look, how things are going to feel. Um, and that level of predictability is just, it's gold. It's hard to put a price on that. So, oh, I made it. All right. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. We're, uh, we're about at that 40 minutes. Eh, might be a little short. Eh, I don't know. Um, if you have, if you have suggestions for future topics, please leave those in the comment on this video or, uh, email me or call in and leave a, uh, voicemail. I'd love to hear from you once again, eight, six, five, five, one, eight, six, five, six, nine. Um, you can call in anytime, leave a voicemail. And I don't know how to necessarily play that here with this video recording that I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. If, if I get one of those here, I'll figure it out. So, um, but yeah, leave, leave a comment. If you have suggestions, anything that you want to hear, check out the website, fivestarphysique.com. You can go to contact, um, and, uh, reach me through there as well. If you have notes for me. So that's all I got. I thank you all for listening very much, much appreciated as always. And I will catch you next time. 